It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Today on Locked On Dolphins, it's the power to the pod. It's the Dolphins fan mailbag. So all the things that are most pressing for you on the eve of the start of free agency, that's what we're going to talk about here today on Locked On Dolphins. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins, your team every day here on the Locked On Network. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day here on the Locked On Network. If you are new to the show, welcome. First of all, you're in for a treat. Uh, a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, longtime NFL draft, Nick. Uh, Kyle Krabs, your, your host, and today really just emceeing, it's the conduit between the Dolphins fan base and the platform that we have here on Locked On Dolphins. It's the mailbag episode, uh, so we put out the question every week, what's on your mind? And um, on the, the heels of us doing the Miami Dolphins offseason blueprint series, which ran this week uh, on the heel or on the cusp of the start of the legal tampering period, which is midday Monday, uh, before we know it. A uh, lot of good questions, and our, it's our goal here today on the show to tackle as many of those questions as we possibly can. So, with that in mind, what's on your mind? Ocean has not a question, but sincerely appreciated the thought and effort behind the blueprint tip of the cap, sir. So, if you did not catch the earlier shows this week, this is our sixth episode of the week. We did... A recent history of the fifth-year option for quarterbacks under the most recent iteration of the collective bargaining agreement, uh, and that ran yesterday. Um, seven quarterbacks applicable to, and looked at where Tua Tungvaloa overlaps with each one of them. And then the other four episodes this week was the off-season blueprint of the "What Would I Do," and it was the most fun project that I've had with the Dolphins for quite some time to be completely honest. And I know that there was some feedback on social media about kind of the conservative nature, if you will, of, of some of what was done. But I think that's what I would take as we, if we were going to touch on a closing thought with the blueprint was I feel like they're the impact players are here. Personally, now, you can never have enough impact players, but I don't necessarily think that if you look at each one of the levels of, the Dolphins offense and the Dolphins defense, like I, I think you have a really good nucleus of difference makers and it's getting the right depth and peripheral pieces around that while getting better in key spots, like key components, like the tight end room and the linebacker room. And that was what I tried to, to manifest with the, the Dolphins offseason blueprint. So if you missed all that, check that out. It, it's a lot of content, but there's some visual aids on the YouTube channel and stuff that really help you uh, to process all the things that we're talking through. Uh, BJR asks, if the Dolphins struggle to find a tight end in the draft or free agency, can the offense still thrive? Is it a critical component? Well, I think it, it depends on thrive, right? It depends on the, the, the conditions and the circumstances and the time of year and, and playoff football. 
right? Because that's now the measuring stick is playoff football. Um, I thought the Dolphins offense largely thrived last season. It had offensive output that we haven't seen since the 80s or at least the the mid-90s. Um, and that was with no effective tight ends. So, yes, there, there's ways that you can circumvent it, and the Dolphins found that by running to the, the weak formational strength. Um, a lot more of their more successful runs were by changing the strength at the point of attack post-snap as compared to just lining up and the tight ends on the right, we're going to run to the right and we're going to win. Well, we're going to line up and we're going to have somebody off the ball and we're going to motion. And while the formational strength will be the right side when we line up, when we snap the ball, the formational strength is actually going to be the left-hand side and won't have angles because of the motion. Like the, so there's there's ways that you can circumvent it, but at the end of the day, like when you need to get two yards to turn and get a first down, can you get two yards? Like that's the kind of next step that has to be taken, whether that comes from the offensive line or the tight end room. But I do think tight ends would would really open up the uh, challenges, all-encompassing challenges on every down and distance situation for the Dolphins offense. Jake, if you had to choose one need to address in the draft, what would it be? Probably, can I say running back? So here's the deal. Like, I would want a tight end, but traditionally tight ends and their transition to the league, that's usually not a a plug-and-play type scenario, right? Like, usually those guys take a little bit of time. I'd say linebacker. I think it's a good linebacker group, but are you going to get a linebacker that's going to operate in zone match principles at a super high level? I mean, that that could be super high variance as well. So I'd say either linebacker or running back would be the ones that like, if we were going to like firmly address the need, I think running back, you, you see guys come into the league quickly and, and have success very early on. Um, so I think for ease of transition and knowing that you're going to get a, a player who can be impactful right off the jump, that would probably be my, my biggest motivating factor for if I could only address one need. Uh, Jack would like to know, um, and both Darnell Wright and Darnell Washington, Darnell Wright, the tackle from Tennessee, and Darnell Washington are – uh, the tight end from Georgia are available, which one would you draft? I'm not per- personally, I'm, I'm not as high on Darnell Wright as some of the others in the space. Uh, for me, my questions are, and I know he's had a really good pre-draft process. He had a good senior bowl. He has good tape this year. He took a big step forward. My questions with Darnell Wright is I think he moves a little bit more like an interior guy as far as functionally on the football field and his protection and his pass sets but he's built like an outside guy. So you kind of get like this weird, like I, I kind of based on your tape, I want to play you here, but based on like your size and how the guys usually don't transition well, I'd almost rather play you outside instead. So I'm a little bit more conflicted there where I think Darnell Washington is a cleaner projection. I'd pick Darnell Washington. Uh, RL. If you go back and look at your blueprint for this off season, how does it compare to others you have done? What percentage of your blueprint has equal what Miami has actually done? So this is a good question. Last year was the first time I did like the full in-depth, like through a 53-man roster breakdown. I took things a little extra further as far as like the three-year salary cap health and projection for the Dolphins for 23, 24, and 25 uh, with this iteration of it. Um, for last year's, I know that the big hits that we got is we include, we had 
Connor Williams and Teron Armstead as free agent signings on the offensive line. Um, I did it before Tyreek Hill being a thing uh, was evident. So obviously the the mock draft looked very different uh, and the wide receiver room looked very different. Uh, I know I, I had drafted Sky Moore in the second round, the guy who ended up going to Kansas City to try and add to that wide receiver room. Um, so it, that's the thing is that's the hard thing I should say about doing it before the start of the off season in, in any capacity is the dolphins got a nuclear haymaker that was dropped on their off season on March 23rd last year. You were never going to predict that was coming as of March 10th, two weeks prior. Nobody, I mean, nobody had the scent that Tyree kill was going to be a Miami dolphin, but that's kind of what makes the off season fun, right? is the unpredictability of it. And at any point it could turn on its head. Um, we have a lot more questions that we want to make sure that we get to, but before we do I have to tell you about our friends over bill bar, bill bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Somebody actually just tweeted me earlier this week and said they got themselves their first box. And I said, RIP the rest of the snacks in your cabinet built bar. It's high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They have hundred percent chocolate on all of their bars. Their flavors are absolutely delicious. It's the life hack you didn't know you needed. So you could go to built.com, get yourself boxes there, or you can go to Walmart or Sam's Club. Go to Walmart, go to the pharmacy club, get a four-bar box, go to Sam's Club, get the big box, the 13-bar box. And when you do, just let me know so we can commiserate about the greatness that is Built Bar together. Hey, guys, it's Joe Marino. Being around sports media and a fan of the Buffalo Bills for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes – it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, and new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Todd, disagree with your take that the tight end position needs to be upgraded. Our problem is not Kaseki; he's elite. The problem is not getting him involved. He'll be great when a team uses him correctly. Seems like you don't think much of him. What do you say? Um, I respect Mike for what he is. Um, and what he is is a vertical seam flex tight end. Uh, who can be really good in uh, catch radius situations, I think is probably the best way to phrase it. We went down the rabbit hole. See if I can find the tweets. I did something with Mike not too long ago that kind of encapsulates the conflict that I had with Mike Asaki. Okay, I have it. Uh, 42 tight ends had at least 35 targets in 2022 in the NFL. Mike was third in perimeter 
alignment percentage, 10th in slot alignment percentage, and 38th out of 42 in inline percentage. And he had the fourth highest depth of target of any of those 42 tight ends that had 35 targets or more in 2022. So the Dolphins lined Mike Gusecki up in all of the places that you would want to use a vertical seam-busting tight end. Third highest incidence on the perimeter, 10th highest incident in the slot, fourth least amount of snaps in line. And yet, despite the fact that you pushed him further down the field than all than three other tight ends in the league that had any amount of volume and aligned him in the places that were best ideal for him as a player, he was 38th in contested catch conversion percentage, 39th in yards after catch per reception, and 36th in yards per route run, despite having a higher average separation per target than Jalen Waddle did last year. What it really comes down to is this. Um, Mike's strengths as a player, in my mind, are routes over the middle of the field, 10 to 19 yards. Your seams, your benders, your specials, your wide cross, all that kind of stuff which you can run in between the linebackers and the safeties against zone coverage. You could put the ball up high or you could throw the ball th- around the throwing window and he's going to come down with it. He's not overly physical. He's not particularly effective beating press coverage. Uh, the, the run blocking speaks for itself. Uh, and, and Mike, the Dolphins passed the ball on 80% of the snap, 80 79.5% of the snaps that Mike Kosecki was on the field for the Dolphins offensively, they, they passed the football. So it's not like they were running him out here asking him to be a blocker. The challenge is Mike on those targets in the middle of the field from 10 to 19 yards, the area that he consistently has been the best at. He gave you 2.65 yards per route run on the season. But Tyreek Hill gave you 4.34 yards per route run, and Jalen Waddle gave you 5.9 yards per route run. So if I can get 2x to 3x throwing in the same area of the field to Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, I'm not going to ask you to go to that area of the field. I'm not. I'm getting exponentially, literally exponentially greater returns on investment for every target to that area of the field with those two elite players versus Mike. That's for me is the big conflict. And it, it, do I think Mike going to an offense in which those two elite talents in that capacity don't exist is going to open things up for him? Yes, I absolutely do. And I think he'll go back to being productive. But I think the production that you saw from Mike Gusecki in 2022, my cat, what is my cat? Hey. Jeez, Louise. The production that you saw from Mike Gusecki prior to 2022, I think was more of a testament to look at the wide receiver rooms that existed in Miami. Somebody had to catch the ball. So I think Mike's that player that's always going to have a very specific role, but when you're more limited in personnel offensively, that role can be expanded, that production can be inflated. But I think there's there's just more natural limitations with how he wins as a player that in spite of having an all-time great NFL combine at the tight end position, I don't call him a mismatched tight end. Because to be a mismatched tight end, you have to do both uh, facets. And he can't block. 
and it can't be press coverage. So, yeah, you're 6'6", and you ran a 4-5 flat, but if I can get you off the rails on the first five yards of your route stand in the contact window, and you can't separate against man's coverage, I don't, I'm, I, I generally don't consider you to be a mismatched tight end. You could be a seam-busting tight end. You could be a vertical receiver. But to be a mismatch, I think you have to present more math problems for opposing defenses than what Mike Gusecki does. And that's just kind of the root of where I fall on Mike. Now, I love Mike. I think Mike's a role player. Um, if Mike finds the market is what it is and is interested in continuing to play in Miami to be a role player within the offense, I would love to have him back. I don't know that that's going to happen. I, I kind of anticipate that it won't because that's the nature of free agency in the BJ. Sorry, that's a very long-winded answer. I just I have a lot of thoughts with Mike, and I think Mike's case study is, is fascinating for um, player evaluation in general. Uh, Layton, do you think it makes more sense for Miami to go after a player like Levante, David, or Jordan Poyer or being more economical in their free agency approach but sign more depth pieces i.e. your blueprint from earlier this week. I think it I think you have to have the perfect fit to go make a big time splash. And the Dolphins feel that they had that with Tyreek Hill, and the Dolphins feel that they had that with Bradley Chubb. And those were both regressive maneuvers. So this isn't to say that there might not be somebody out there, whether that's Tremaine Edmonds or Jordan Poyer or anybody else, where they feel like, hey, this is the bona fide no-brainer hit. For us, let's take the big swing in the bat. And if they do, great. We're going to be excited for it. We're going to be excited to add good. Anytime you add good players to this team, uh, I'm going to be excited about it. Now, is it feasible? I think it depends on how they structure the contracts. I think the worry with adding the older players is you don't when their wall is going to hit. And what happens if the wall hits? the first year that they are playing for you and you've made a three-year commitment to them with a lot of money. That's the scary component of, of going with the later stage players, um, some of which can still play at a very high level and will probably play at a high level. Uh, hard to predict. This is from Todd. Hard to predict before free agency, but is there a position you see the Dolphins potentially doubling down on in the draft? Two linebackers, two offensive linemen, two tight ends, a position that maybe would be better served not dropping big money on a free agent. I could see tight end being a position you double dip in. Um, if they are committed to fully overhauling that room, if you are planning on moving on from Durham Smythe, uh, if you're planning on potentially moving on from Hunter Long, I would say that's probably, and, and can I say DB, like include safeties and corners in the same conversation if i can i'll take the easy way out and do that sean wants to know what my realistic best case scenario player is for the dolphins first pick assuming they don't trade it jameer gibbs i think there's a decent chance he's available as a running back um rb2 in this class um is Jameer Gibbs. I think for the Dolphins, he's, he's a very good schematic fit. I think the speed in the backfield, the receiving versatility that he has, uh, all those things add up to a very favorable outlook.
for Jameer Gibbs and the Dolphins offense if you can get your hands on him. I I would give it a 50-50 shot. He's there at 51. Um, I would not be surprised at all if he was gone. I, I if I if you had to set a betting line on it, and maybe it changes a little bit because teams like the the Giants are keeping Saquon Barkley and the Raiders are franchise chat franchise tag Josh Jacobs. So maybe Bijan Robinson slides a little bit deeper than maybe some of those teams early on. Um I don't know a corner or, or running back early. They've got two picks in the first round. I'd put him at like 40, put him somewhere around 40. I'd set the over-under for Jameer Gibbs. I wouldn't expect him to be there, but the, but there, I think there's a decent chance that if the board breaks a certain way that you could see him there. Uh, ben, why didn't anyone warn us could be restructured? Well played. Uh, for what it's worth, I would be mentally prepared to fully Max restructure Bradley Chubb again next offseason. That's a conversation for another day, but I've already done that. I've already done the work about what that contract looks like as far as salary cap implications and getting out of, of the that deal as far as what your exit ramps look like for, for safety contingencies and flexibility purposes. I would be prepared to fully do them again next year. You're going to get another big chunk of money next year if you do it next year too. And again, he'll only be 27 playing a premier position. Uh, Dolphins craze. What's up, my guy? What position move wouldn't surprise you, but may surprise fans in free agency, like drafting a wide receiver, for example? That's a good question. Hmm. Look, I don't think drafting anything's off the table for this team, and that includes drafting a wide receiver. I mean, I, I drafted one on day three to, to be a special teams guy. Maybe spending big on another defensive lineman an interior guy. Um, I wouldn't rule that possibility out for them to get the horses up front. Now, obviously you got to pay Wilkins and, and you got to figure out what you're doing with Zach Sealer. But um, I know that the, the front really makes the whole thing go having the right guys up front to play gap and a half run fits and stuff. So uh, that might be a point of emphasis. Uh, Linka would like to know what value Agba has trade-wise. I think you could get a midday three pick, a five or six. Uh, I'd like to think you could maybe get a five. Maybe you eat a couple million dollars in dead money and make it a little easier to, to absorb. That would be my hope. My hope would be you can get a five for Agba, especially because he he's his injury timeline, he, he made a run towards playing in the postseason, so you know he's going to be fully ready to go. TurboTax experts make your moves count. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this Locked On podcast is brought to you by TurboTax. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts will make sure that they count for you. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? Well, that's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That is a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? That quite literally would be a move or maybe... You moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or you switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or maybe you just rode the stock market to the moon and back. Any of those things that you did or any other moves that you made, TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and every deduction you deserve, filing with 100% accuracy and getting you your max refund 
guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax today. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. We get a couple more. Make sure we push through as well. Oh, we got more than a couple more. Okay. Zach, are you worried about the workload for Waddle and Hill? Lack of run game worries me. I want those guys to stay healthy. No, I I think they rotated fairly well. Um, as long as those guys continue to be uh, diligent as far as limiting their hits, not taking ugly hits in traffic or in the middle of the field, and they protect themselves. I don't think w- workload is super concerning. I admire the fact that they both played through bumps and bruises throughout the season. I know they were both banged up and they were hurting a little bit by the end of the year. Um, but that, I mean, that you you have elite players, right? Like you got you you gotta they have to be the centerpieces of what you do. That that's that's how you play the game, right? Is it's what you dream of is to have players like this to put the ball in their hands as often as possible to give yourself a chance to win football games. So I I get it and I I think it's um it's a very valid point, especially because they weren't healthy towards the end of the year. Jordan, the blueprint this week was amazing, but how about the opposite approach? What are some potential moves this offseason that you would really hate? Mm. You know, maybe I'll save that for Monday. And do that that could be a whole show concept. And that would be really fun because Monday, like legal tampering is not going to start until noon on Monday. Uh, you probably get the expectation that the Dolphins, um, they might not be super assertive right off the jump. Uh, they were quiet the first few days last year, kind of stayed out of the initial feeding frenzy. Uh, so we might have enough time for that to have a little bit of shelf life. So I'm, I'll probably do that on Monday. I really like that question. So thank you for asking. Henny, would love you to discuss some free agent names I don't hear a lot about. Quan Alexander, Darnus Jones, Ode Ibushi, and most recently Braxton Berrios and any other common, not commonly talked about with the Dolphins. So Berrios obviously getting cut by the Jets. I was interested in adding Barrios last year, specifically for the, the special teams value that he brings to the table. He played at Miami, University of Miami. Would love to get Braxton Barrios to be wide receiver five or wide receiver six. You know, if you bring in Braxton Barrios and economically it's it's a couple million dollars, you're probably not bringing back River Craycraft. You're probably prepared for that. So that's the question you have to ask yourself, I think, with that specific player. As far as Quan Alexander, I, I don't think he's necessarily the light box play in space type that we would really benefit from. I think it, it, he's probably a little bit more of a skill specific player that you would have to want to limit his first and 10 type stuff. Um, but he's obviously a very good tackling tackle producing linebacker in the NFL and, and plays physical brain of football and, has been in a couple different spots at this point in time. And I think that experience could be valuable for the right dollar amount. Dernis Johnson, running back, right? Kind of limited opportunities. You're not really sure. It's a little bit more of a lottery ticket probably, right? You've seen some really nice flashes. Um, But is it something you want to bet big on? 
Are you going to just go economic? If you're just going to go economic, are there other bets in the same price range that are more valuable? Those are the kind of questions that I think when I, I think about a back like that. Uh, Alex would like to know the ideal plan for the left guard spot. I don't think we can run it back with Liam and expect a different result. Um, I know I had another question about the offensive line. And it was, um, please tell me Greer. I, I, I don't, it's not showing up on my feed, but I know the question was asked and it was, please tell me Greer's not planning on running back with Austin Jackson, Lee Meikenberg. <laughs> and they'll both be, definitely be on the team, right? I would like to think that they will at least invoke competition to start for one, if not both players. I would like to think you can get to a world where if you get somebody else that comes in, whether that's a rookie, whether that is a free agent signing, I went with free agent signings at both because I ain't playing around. I'm not trying to get caught with my pants around my ankles and have to start those guys for 17 games or, or more next season. I would go out and get competitive players for both. I did that in the blueprint. I signed Trey Pipkins and I signed uh, Daniel Brunskill. I didn't break the bank for either one, but I paid market value for a adequate level starter on the interior. And I paid adequate level money at offensive tackle, probably a little bit less than adequate level starter. I think that value, the average value of that projection was like $8 million. You starting tackle money probably starts at like 12 or 15, right? But like, I wanted competition uh, and I wanted guys that you felt like if you knew you were going to start 17 games with that guy in that spot, you'd be okay without throwing crazy money at it. Uh, there, I know there's a couple questions in here about uh, draft dudes and draft network, and uh, it's been really humbling. Um, to, to see all the questions this week. Um, I, what I will say is this uh, Monday, this past week was my last day at draft network. And that was a wonderful five years. Uh, very thankful for the experiences and the team that I got to share and all the people that I got to meet and uh, the opportunities that it afforded me. And it was lifelong dream, right? I was one of the co-founders of the company. Um, hope to have some more news to share uh, as far as other facets for me uh, and what is next. Locked on Dolphins isn't going anywhere. Um, I can tell you one thing I'm looking forward to is getting into some some coaching uh, is, is going to be a, a next step for me that I'm currently pursuing. Um, but there was some outstanding media stuff that we just kind of get got to get some stuff tied together on. Um, but yes, the questions about Draft Dudes, the other podcast that I do and, and what where what was the status of that this week? Those have not been unnoticed. And it's very flattering to see how many of you uh, care about seeing my thoughts across all different kinds of spaces. So thank you for those of you who reached out. Uh, uh, hope to have things kind of settled here uh, to be able to share uh, what some of the next steps are for me as far as working in football media. Uh, but yes, Monday uh, was my last day at Draft Network after five wonderful years. So uh, just... Put that on your radar, as you will, because I know a couple people in here have asked. The last question 
is this from Steve. First, for long time, first time, love the show. Any concerns that all this restructuring will lead to a Tannenbaum-like ending or in Brandon Shore retrust? Here's what I'll say about invoking the name Tannenbaum here. I think the Dolphins are five years away from having a roster that parallels the actual condition of what the the end of Tannenbaum era Dolphins look like. And that's assuming you get stagnant, you blow up all your cap space, you don't get any flexibility, you don't transition at any point throughout that process or have a year in which you build up and compete and then step back for a year as a transitional year. The thing about the Tannenbaum stuff was you went from 08, 09, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Like that entire decade, you were like, oh, we're a couple players away. Oh, we're a couple players away. Oh, we'll restructure. Oh, we'll kick it out. And what you ended up with was an old roster with a lot of players towards the tail end of their career that were all super expensive and super cost commitment heavy. You're really long ways away from that in my mind as the Miami Dolphins of 2023. I don't think you have to worry about that right now. This is part of doing businesses in the NFL is restructuring contracts and having fun money and and playing with the salary cap. The responsibility comes at some point to have some level of self-awareness of where you actually are as a franchise. And the Dolphins trying to taste down the Patriots for as long as they did. It became this self-fulfilling prophecy of bad contracts, limited flexibility, spending big on two players, not having a nucleus of a team that, that genuinely could give you a chance to compete for a championship. I think 2019 being what it was for Miami was a very necessary step to crawl before they could walk. And now we're getting ready to run. We're getting ready to run out of here as well. Kyle Krabs, make sure you keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins, your team every day. Fins up. I appreciate you guys checking out the show. Enjoy the rest of your weekends, and I will talk with you all on Monday for post or for, for off-season moves that I would hate to see the Dolphins make. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking to you all again soon. Fins up. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.